I was given a gift early on in my life. Um, and that gift is the recognition that relationship with God is possible and the demonstration of what that looks like. And I simply enjoy helping other people to discover that there's more to be known about God. Hello, and welcome to the Hill Stories podcast, a space to tell the God stories unique to the people at Chapel Hill Presbyterian Church in Gig Harbor and Port Orchard, Washington. I'm your host, David Wilson. Today, we are speaking with Joycelyn and Joseph Bataille. Joseph is the past country director for Haiti World Relief. But what are you doing right now? So I, so I uh, stepped down from World Relief uh, mid-year last year, um, mainly because I came, uh, I needed to move back full-time to Maryland to be with Joycelyn, who was getting started on her doctorate. So uh, I'm currently, I, I would say I'm in between uh, possibly switching careers and looking at uh, nonprofit, uh, other nonprofit opportunities as well. But for now, I'm actually in the insurance and finance industry. So. Interesting. That's quite a transition for you. Huge difference. You were born in Port-au-Prince. Yes. And you obviously recently came from Haiti, but now you're in the States. That's right. That's a little bit of a journey. Mm -hmm. What's the first thing we need to know to understand you? Where where do you want to begin in that journey? Mm. I guess my journey starts with my parents. You know, I grew up in a Christian family, and my father has been a pastor since he was 16 years old. I think he's in his, what, 54th, 55th year of ministry this year. Um, and uh, and I always say that, you know, I'm, I'm a son of a pastor and the son of God's best friend. <laughs> That's my mother. Um, and we moved to the U.S. when I was two years old. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm the second youngest of seven kids. And um, so I had a lot of family around me at all times. Um, but I, I also grew up mostly without my father. So it's a little bit complex. Um, we moved to the US when I was two years old and uh, my father would travel back and forth a couple months here, a couple months there. Um, and at some point, uh, I was around seven years old, he went for what was supposed to be another short trip and he wasn't able to come back. And that was related to some immigration issues that are a little bit complex, um, a lot more complex than we have the time to get into right now. But um, so I was raised um, by essentially, you know, a single mother of seven in the middle of nowhere in Ohio. We, the first town that we moved into, uh, it was a town of about a hundred people, and my family was the ten percent black population <laughs> in that town. So, it was a it was an interesting upbringing. But I was always surrounded by family. Um, you know, me and my older brothers, especially. Uh, there are five boys and two girls. Uh, I have one little sister. But me and my older brothers, especially, just running around in, in the countryside, uh, through the woods and playing and, and everything. But, um, but yeah, I, I would say that's where my story starts is in the context of family. And it's in the context of a family 
um, for as long as I've known, has been serving God. I should mention that this past week, you have been involved with the high school ministry. The normal mission trip was altered this year, moved from February into April, and it became local um, to, to learn a lot about ourselves and about our community and to see how we can help out. The high school students have been great, but you have been our featured speaker this week. I haven't been able to catch every talk. That's my loss. But I did catch where you spoke about your mom and dad a little bit, mm -hmm. and you talked about your mother and her spiritual strength. I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah. For those who can't see, I'm smiling right now. It's <laughs> the instant response of thinking about my mom. Um, my, my mom, um, I remember talking to my grandmother about my mom more recently. Uh, just a few years ago, just before my grandmother passed away. Uh, and she said that my mom was the type to even pray in her sleep, <laughs> um, when, even when she was a young child. Um, she loved the Lord. Um, she and my grandmother would always uh, walk down to the river, praying, singing. And any time I, uh, everything that I remember about my mom, she was either always praying or singing, always in worship. And the way that her relationship was with the Lord, in many ways it was casual, but then other times it was very formal in the sense that, um, you know, we could be riding along in the car and we're having a conversation in the car and then suddenly my mom is talking to someone else uh, and that someone else is, is God. Uh, and so it could be as simple as uh, we're driving in silence and suddenly an idea comes from her mind and she says, oh, I never thought of it that way. Thanks for that idea, Lord. Uh, or that someone comes to mind and she would bring them to prayer immediately before the Lord, not just, oh, I, I need to remember to pray about this person. It was just at any time, any moment, she was ready to pray and ready to speak with the Lord. And, uh, and so in that sense, it, it was very casual. But I also remember many times where um, her reverence for the Lord uh, just came out strong in just the way that she would approach him when she uh, had consecrated times of prayer. And, uh, and so, you know, all throughout my life, that's what I remember, is um, she heard from the Lord very strongly. Um, she heard from him very clearly, uh, very specific instances in, in our lives that uh, wouldn't escape her. I, I always joked that um, that I couldn't hide anything from mom because she's God's best friend. <laughs> and uh, she wouldn't use it against me, of course. But uh, I, I do know, I, I could point to several instances in my life when, you know, either I was down or, or something was going on in my mind that I didn't have someone to talk to about or didn't want to talk about yet or didn't know how to talk about. And she'd come to me and said, you know, I was praying for you the other day and this is, this is what I heard and it would be absolutely on point. And, and it was way beyond mother's intuition. It was really because she was hearing it from the Lord. And then there would be other specific instances. Like I, I remember when my brother uh, got in a very serious car accident somewhere around three in the morning. Um, 
And about 15 minutes before that, my mom shot up awake in her bed and knew that it was time to pray. Started repeating uh, my brother's name, uh, uh, calling out to the Lord on his behalf. And then we received the call 15 minutes later. And he says, I have no idea how I survived. Uh, and you could see the pictures of the vehicle that no one should have survived and everyone was fine. And so <laughs> things like that, that would happen all the time. Um, there are many people in our church and in our lives that, uh, that would um, give her like an envelope of a with a request written on the inside and say, please don't actually read it. I'm actually embarrassed about this. And she'd never open it. She would pray. And then the person would come to her and say, thank you. And so I, that's what I remember about her. It's just faithful. I used the phrase spiritually strong earlier. But it's obvious she was also a woman of integrity, yes. consistent yes. in her walk. And the first thing I thought of as you were speaking of her was the admonition to pray unceasingly. Oh, yes. And that she embodied that. Yes, 100%. At what point in your life did you see a turn in the same direction? Or was that, was that gradual? Was it sudden? Yeah, so I've known the Lord since I was crawling. What I mean by that is I've seen him in the relationship with him demonstrated. I accepted Christ personally when I was very young, about seven or eight years old, maybe nine, I don't recall exactly. Um, I grew into that uh, with youth group and um, eventually college and, and other things like that. But really, uh, ironically, time when I really took the Lord seriously for myself uh, was just after I lost my mom. It was, it was interesting. I, I, you know, I remember my siblings and I, we, uh, we discussed it several years later after she passed away. She, she passed in November of 2002. And um, I was 16 at the time and I was still in high school. And so it was just my little sister and I. And we ended up living with a family in our church that, that took us in. And, uh, and I remember um, discussing this afterwards with several of my siblings that uh, it's almost like, you know, if, if you're like, if you're with, you know, you're with Jesus, right? And he kind of handles all the business, you know, you don't really need to go to the Father because you have somebody who's going to the Father on your behalf all the time. It was really kind of like that, and then when you see the disciples in the in the in the Gospels um, and how they, um, you know, they're they're walking with Jesus and they're totally oblivious of so many things, um, then he's gone. Initially, when he's gone, they're devastated, but when the Holy Spirit comes and strengthens them, all of a sudden you see different men completely different. And that's kind of how we described it. It was almost like we, with my mother, um, yes, we had a relationship with God, but um, we leaned almost completely on her and her relationship with God to, um, you know, she would take things to the Lord on our behalf. In a sense, the priest of the family, right? When there are two different directions you could take when you lose that. It's either you lose it completely and you go another direction or you seek it out for yourself. 
Um, and one of the things that happened with me is recognizing how close one can be to God through my mother. Uh, I knew that I wanted that for myself. And so um, I had already been in, very involved in youth group and things like that and in worship. Um, but my hunger to know God grew exponentially, ironically, after I lost my mom. So the loss of your mother was not a division for you, but rather a void that you wanted to fill. But you're only 16 at that time. Um, where do you go at that point? As far as spiritually or physically? Yeah. Uh, physically, um, you know, I was still very involved in, in my church. And um, this is a story all of its own. But my mother um, knew that she was about to pass the night before she passed. Um, and it wasn't a car accident. Nothing could have ever predicted it. Nothing could have ever seen, you know. Uh, you know. But uh, the night before she passed, um, it was, she wrote a letter that she had sent to the church. Um, it was very general, but even in her generalities, we recognized uh, her making a request for us to be taken care of. Uh, she spoke of people who would be hurting during the holiday season um, and, uh, and uh, made a request for, you know, encouraged and admonished the church to care for those who are in need during that season. And of course she could be speaking of others, but just so many other things that were happening around that time, it was just very um, evident for us that, uh, that she knew um, and we actually had, you know, reason to believe much earlier that uh, that something was around the corner, even if she didn't know when or how. Um, and uh, so, some a family in our church took up that call, and um, so my sister and I went to live with them. And we lived, I lived with them for two years before I went off to college, and she was with them for four. And, um, and so, yeah, that's where we ended up physically, as we were cared for by the church. Um, my older siblings were around. Uh, they were living, um, most of them living several, about an hour or so away, about two hours away. Uh, they were all, three of the older ones were attending the same college. I have another brother who was in the military, so he had just come back from Japan and uh, then was stationed in North Carolina and then another brother in, in Florida. So we were with the church. Um, and uh, I, I actually really started, uh, you know, first in terms of, you know, seeking the Lord, uh, really getting into the word and into prayer, waking up early, uh, even as a high schooler, uh, to, uh, to explore what that means. Um, and, uh, and even shortly after that, I actually began to take part in ministry myself, 16 years old, I guess, like father, like son. Um, and uh, I was leading worship in the main service. I was uh, leading Bible studies for my peers. I had always had a somewhat of a, of a deep understanding of the scriptures. Um, my mom would teach me well in that way. and uh, We would have family discussions around the Bible. And, and so it, uh, in, in a sense, that part was natural, but it was definitely uh, an increase um, after after that that I uh, 
that I really started to deepen my relationship with God and also deepen how I allowed that relationship to affect others around me, especially my peers. Did any of your siblings follow a similar path? Yes, um, especially my oldest brother. Uh, my oldest brother, uh, he actually moved to um, closer to home uh, for at least for the, the for a couple of years, where he was um, in charge of taking care of all those details that you have to take care of when someone passes, uh, the house and the property and. Uh, all, all, you know, insurances and bills and, you know, and all those things. Uh, my mother left no debts. <laughs> In two years, she paid off 10 years worth of land payments. And this was around the time where uh, she had this thought that she wasn't going to be around forever. And she didn't want to leave anything for her children behind. And again, that's a different story, but it was a very clear, like, uh, I, she wanted to take care of those details. No debts, but a clear legacy exactly. was left behind. But you've moved on to college shortly. Yeah. Where did you go? I went to Duke. Yeah, went to Duke University. Um, that's where I met Joycelyn. <laughs> I've been wanting to bring Joycelyn into yeah. this. I really want to get her perspective on a few things. Yeah, so uh, I went to Duke University uh, since 2004. Um, and uh, that was an experience of itself. Um, you know, what's, what was really interesting is that uh, a lot of people worry about their children going to a secular school because, you know, especially one of a reputation like Duke, there's a whole lot of, um, you know, different philosophies that they might be encountering and, you know, they're all on their own and, you know, what's it going to be like? Um, my faith skyrocketed in college, and I owe that to the Lord and the community that he put us in. Um, we were a part of the same campus ministry. Um, at the time, it was called uh, Cambridge Christian Fellowship. It, it is now called Every Nation Ministries. It's a part of a larger um, uh, campus ministry focus. So, um, And I remember there was just something about this group that we were part of where worship was our entertainment. Like, this is what we did for fun, is worship God. Like, we would stay up all night and pray. We would um, wake up early and pray. You know, like, literally, like, all, like, you know, we would start at 10 p.m. and go till 6 in the morning and just set it up like that and say, hey, when can we have another all-nighter? you know all -nighter? And, you know, so it was that kind of a thing. And, there was a lot of uh, studying in scriptures. I remember um, we would do um, uh, midnight prayer every day. That's something that we did uh, my junior and senior year. Every single day we, we did uh, prayer from about 11 to 12.30. We did that on the freshman campus because we wanted the freshmen to catch what we had caught when we had first moved. And, and so that was the that was really what characterized our college experience. Uh, I, I joke that um, for four years I was a campus minister that studied because that really was our, our, our lives. And, and college is a time where you're spending a whole lot of time in the books and you really don't have a lot of time. But I knew um, because of what I knew with my mother and my family, my father as well, 
um, because of what I knew uh, was possible, this idea that God walks with man, this idea that God meets with man, this idea that God speaks to man, I knew that I wanted that. And I didn't know what it looked like, and I didn't know uh, how it happened, really. But I did know that one of the reasons that my mother was so close to God is because she was available to him. Something I didn't mention earlier um, is that uh, when my father would be in Haiti and my mom would be home alone, she would, she would be, she would be sleeping on the floor. And at first, I thought it was because, well, you know, she just was reserving the bed for when when dad is home, and uh, she would be sleeping on the floor. But what happened after I was seven and my dad was out of the picture, you know, pretty much for good for the rest of her life anyway. Um, they stayed married, by the way, it wasn't that kind of a thing. Uh, but for the rest of her life, she would sleep on the floor. And I didn't, I never asked her about it, but then once I overheard her saying to someone that it was because she said that if the Lord called on her, she didn't want to be too comfortable to get up to pray. If the Lord called her in the middle of the night, she wanted to be available to him. And I remembered that. And in my college years, um, something that I had committed to was um, being a man of prayer and worship. And um, I would wake up five or six in the morning and grab my guitar and run across the campus to an empty theater or something. And I would pray and I would, and I would spend time with the Lord. Um, that changed my life. I became a different person through that. I grew to learn God's voice in a way that I never had before. And even though I can say those, that's not how my days are characterized every day these days, but those days still carry me. You had mentioned earlier using worship as entertainment, and you weren't quite sure, is this the way I want to phrase this? It sounded like that you were quite obviously tapping into joy and that that was a driving force. And, and that's something that we're all striving for. Yeah. Where can we find the joy, especially these days that we're going through? So I can, I can appreciate your experience and a little envious of it as well. But at some point, Joycelyn has to enter the picture here. You tell me, how did you two meet? <laughs> oh, no. Their version, right? My version is long the... and it's... <laughs> May not be right. Um, Joseph and I met, we were still seniors, but we both went to Duke's campus for um, a scholarship weekend, an interview for a scholarship that we were both um, finalists for. And so um, we were with other seniors who were there for that same scholarship. And I remember seeing him, didn't think anything of it, but um, other people in the group um, would say, Joseph's Haitian. You're Haitian. You guys should meet. And I was like, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> and he was usually on the side, aloof and on his phone, and I didn't think anything of it. And we went home after that weekend. We both ended up not getting the scholarship, but we both ended up going to Duke anyways. And I think the rest isn't necessarily history, but we were, like Joseph said, a part of the same um, campus ministry we had the same group of friends, um, and things got a little complicated. 
which is why we didn't date until after, after you graduated. Yeah. I graduated one semester later. Yeah. We both saw the, the need for us to grow yeah. um, and not did not have the desire to, if I can put it simply, um, have sex before marriage or compromise. And we knew that our immaturity, um, as well as um, just a host of other things, we needed to grow I grew up without a father. Separately. She I grew, grew up without, without a father. father. There are issues that come with that. Loneliness, mm -hmm. neediness. Um, we would always joke, uh, well, not joke, but later on as we really came to understand what it was, is that um, if we were in a relationship too early before the Lord healed certain things in us, we would need each other to death. There was just this uh, unhealthy level of cleaning. Yes, you're, you're supposed to leave and cleave to your, to your spouse, but um, even in cleaving to your spouse, God is still your source. First relationship. First relationship. And so that's where things were complicated. Joycelyn, I didn't know what your background was, but you were talking about how you were both working through the ministry. Do you have uh, a similar upbringing in a spiritual sense? Not exactly. I, I did grow up in a Christian home with my mother and like we mentioned um, earlier, without my father. Um, interestingly, the person kind of similar to what Joseph had with his mom was my mom's oldest sister. Um, my mom is one of 12. Um, she had a sister who lived with us and she was our spiritual rock, essentially in the home. When my mom would go to work, my aunt was at home and she was the one who prayed with us before we went to school prayed with us when we came back home and um, had us doing family devotions in the evenings. And she kind of like Joseph's mom had her very special relationship with the Lord, even to the point that she had an inkling or a sense of when she was going to pass as well and would tell us things and pass things on to make sure that we were ready to almost take take the baton or take the torch yeah. and continue. Um, so that's kind of my, my upbringing um, regarding my, I guess, spiritual, spiritual journey. You've got the experience with your mother. You've got the experience in college. You've, you are talking to God on a daily basis. Where did you find yourself going at that point? Yeah. So um, from college, well, in college, I could say, uh, is actually when I started to reconnect with my father. My first trip back to Haiti, what was it, 2005 or 2006? So I was still in college. I think it was 2005, uh, summer of 2005, perhaps. At that point, I hadn't seen my dad for 12 years. My father, as I mentioned before, uh, has been in ministry for almost 50 years, and this is really all his life is, you know, giving to the Lord. And um, I don't know how to explain it. Like I, I had a bit of a trajectory for my life where I always saw Haiti becoming a part of it. Then when I went to Haiti, the only way I can explain it is that everything I ever felt called to made sense there. Um, and, uh, and after that first visit, I spent pretty much every break in Haiti. 
And then I even took a semester off, which is why Joyson's graduated faster than me and took a, you know, I was in Haiti for seven months straight in my uh, junior year. Um, and uh, really getting acquainted with the country, uh, its needs, understanding how things work, the culture, the relearning. So yes, I had to get reacquainted with the language um, and actually learn to speak it. Uh, and so that's really what those years were about. But in the midst of all of that, I became involved in ministry with my father. Uh, my father is a pastor of, I don't know if it's the largest or one of the largest churches in Port-au-Prince. Um, uh, one of, it's not the largest. And uh, in a larger mission of churches, I think there's 23 churches uh, in the ministry as well. So I became very involved in that. And actually in 2008, um, I was officially ordained as one of the assistant pastors. And came straight back to Haiti after I graduated and continued in on that. Where do you find joy now in what you do? Hmm. I enjoy watching as people make the discovery of God in whatever way that appears. In my current work, it, it feels so opposite to anything I've ever done, right? But there's something about it actually, you know, I, I kind of fell into it and then thought, you know, I'll try this for a little while. And then I ended up liking it a lot more than I thought I would. And part of the reason why is you know, when you are talking to someone about their life, their family, their finances, they open up in so many different areas. And so with, when I'm sitting down with a client, uh, whether it be about uh, their Medicare or their life insurance, or uh, we're talking about life. And I enjoy meeting people and, 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 um, and getting a chance to uh, share a part of that life and they get to also share a part of mine. I would say at least 95% of the people that I meet with somewhere along the way would get around to talking about uh, having a relationship with the Lord. So in the current work, uh, that's kind of where that manifests. And I simply enjoy uh, meeting with people. But when it comes to quote unquote ministry ministry, <laughs> it's it's similar. It's um, I, I was given a gift early on in my life. Um, and that gift is the recognition that relationship with God is possible and the demonstration of what that looks like. And I simply enjoy helping other people to discover that there's more to be known about God than what we normally are uh, used to encountering or used to knowing. So that's what I've really enjoyed about this week is uh, helping the young people to understand that uh, life with God doesn't have to be mundane or monotonous. Uh, it can be deeper. Um, and if just one person decides to go deeper for that, then that's worth it. You have said a couple things this week that I want to touch upon. Um, one, God speaks the loudest to those who are about to experience something that challenges their faith. Mm -hmm. What did you mean by that? 
I feel like you'll see several examples in the Bible where that's the case. You have Moses who's about to go and face Pharaoh. Pharaoh's going to oppose you. <laughs> it says it very clearly. And it's not going to be easy. And immediately he goes back and he's facing that opposition. Another thing that you'll find is you'll see scriptures where he is prophesying to Israel. Um, I mean, even even today, if you were to look at some of the prophecies of Israel coming back to God, if you look at uh, even in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 30, that says uh, that's when Israel recognizes that uh, it, you know, Deuteronomy 28 is the blessings and the curses, right? And then you have Deuteronomy 30 where it says, when all of these things have come upon you and you recognize that it's because you've walked away from me, and then you turn around and this is what you can have. And so God, even as he's giving them their constitution, so to speak, He's letting them know, I already know that you're going to walk away, but there is a way back. And he's leaving it there, ready for them to come back to it. So I feel like, um, well, I know that God is gracious. God is, uh, he knows what we can handle. Let's take Jesus as an example. He goes to the river, John the Baptist baptizes him. And he hears an audible voice from heaven speaking over him, declaring his identity. Immediately after that moment, what do we have? Challenge of his identity. He needed to hear it clearly. He needed to know that his father was proud, that he didn't need to perform and make bread. He didn't need to have God prove his love. He was already secure in that. He, God spoke very clearly to him to take him through that next step. It's almost as if when God speaks a word, the enemy challenges that word. And in challenging that word, he actually indirectly proves God all the more faithful because we come out of those experiences stronger. One of the things that made my faith stronger after my mom passed away was when I recognized how clearly God was speaking to her from before and during and up into the moment that she passed away. I remember speaking to other members of the church. They would say some things like, I know it sounds kind of strange and I, and I don't know how to explain it, but I feel like my last conversation with your mother was the most important conversation I'd ever had with anyone in my life. You know, she gave me advice about everything that I needed in that moment, from my family to my kids to my business. She just she just had so many things to say and it felt so urgent to her. And I would speak to different people about that and I was like, how could I be angry with God for quote, taking my mother when she had just entered into everything she had ever lived for? So that's one. And number two, how could I doubt God when it's so very clear that up until the very last breath, they were speaking to each other. And so, that spoke to me. It wasn't specifically God's word to me, but it was an invitation, really. It was a very difficult time. I don't hide that at all, and I don't want to minimize that. You're losing your mother at 16 is not something that, it, that anyone should go through. But that spoke to me and invited me into that very same thing my mother had. You also mentioned earlier this week 
some people are amazed that the Holy God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, reaches out to the marginalized. But you see it more fascinating that the marginalized want to have a relationship with the holy. The emphasis in the Gospels is that um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're always surprised that Jesus is a friend of sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, whoever else was among them that they deemed as people who were uh, not faithful to God's word or not faithful to God's way. Um, and Jesus would go out to them. And that is surprising. Someone as holy as Jesus would spend his time with those who were the, quote, least holy among the people at that time. But the reason why I find it fascinating that they would seek him out is they would come in their unholiness. And normally when you have people who are, you know, drunkards or people who are thieves or people who are in sexual immorality, they hang out with people that are like them because it, they're comfortable being around like-minded people, just like anyone is. But it also reinforces it, that behavior. Exactly. It's reinforcing it. Everything, what I'm doing is okay. Uh, kind of like staying in the, if you stay in the dark, you don't realize how, you know, that your clothing is dirty. And so that's the natural way that human beings operate is um, staying close to those who reinforce their behavior, not those who would make them feel guilty or like they were different. But it was so different with Jesus. What would make a prostitute want to be near him? What would make someone who was known for being a thief, quote unquote, with, as a tax collector, want to have a relationship with him? And I find it fascinating because I feel like the challenge of the church today is to be desirable to the world, yet remain as holy as Jesus. Because the, the outsiders would be drawn to Jesus and Jesus would still just be Jesus. He didn't have to attract them and with some sort of, you know, worldly spin on his message, he would still preach the truth. He didn't have to, you know, put on shining lights or whatever. Not that I'm criticizing that sort of thing. All, all I'm saying is that Jesus was simply good and holy. And somehow that attracted people who were in the darkness to the light. You know, it, it's a surprise that Jesus was a friend of sinners, but it really is surprising that sinners were friends of Jesus. Because sinners, as far as our experience, those who are in deep, regrettable sin, they don't seek out Christians, not in the way that they sought out Jesus. And I think that um, there's something for us to learn, whether it be uh, compassion or genuine love. Um, there's something for us that, that, we, that we still need to grasp uh, to become attractive to people again. Joyce Lynn, you mentioned earlier how you had a relationship with God first, and then upon that you could build a relationship with Joseph. Where have you met God in your relationship? I'm actually reminded of um, 
a poem that we see oftentimes or a, a picture or an image that we oftentimes see of an individual asking the Lord, where were you when this happened? Where were you when that happened? And where were you when this was happening to me? And the response in this poem um, is the Lord saying, when this was happening, when, was that, when that was happening, the reason that you only see one set of footprints in the sand is because I was carrying you. And, um, and I think that is ultimately the full story of my life where um, for lack of time, um, the Lord has sustained me. Um, he has been my breath. He has been my life. He has been my song. He has been really my everything because my upbringing starting from a very young age was, um, based on, um, my father not being there. So my mom raising six kids on her own. It also was founded on quite a bit of poverty, living in the Caribbean, facing quite a bit of things that, once again, I, I don't think a young child should have to experience. So malnutrition and different sicknesses and immigration, coming and migrating to the U.S. on a boat with my older sibling without my mom. And so quite a bit of um, challenging experiences that I look back on being in the U.S. and facing immigration issues while I'm here as well. And each and every single time when I doubted the Lord or when I questioned where he was or when I questioned why he was not a good father to me like my earthly father, and that response was, I am here, I've always been here, and I've never left. And so that's how I've seen him being there for me and how it causes me then to repent of my questioning, kind of like Job, my questioning of why did you not do this or why did you not do that or where were you because he is and he has been, he continues to still be there. We've talked about how you've experienced God through your mother, about how you've experienced God on your own after your mother passed away. The world we're in right now, the variety of words could be used to describe upheaval, discontent, shifting sand, however you want to look at it, where should we be looking for God? Hmm. That's a good question. Because he's, he's in it, he's around it, he's present. And I feel in many ways, we're the ones that are absent. I, I, I look at 2020, which didn't happen, by the way. 2020 is just a figment of our imagination. A figment of our imagination. Okay. Well, jot that down and note that. Uh, in all seriousness, I, I, I look at all of the things that happened in 2020, the uh, election issues and politics, the division of the country, the um, global pandemic and how that somehow brought up controversies as to whether or not we should be masking, whether or not we should be this, or whether or not this is real, or whether or not... I feel like, uh, it, it, particularly in America, we've allowed the leaven of our culture into our gospel, and we've allowed the leaven of uh, popular opinion, whether it be one side of opinion or the other, to get into our gospel to the point where now when we preach our gospel, 
all the world sees is our leaven, our yeast, the, the teachings of, of our culture. And what I mean by that is, um, I remember a point in time, this is with my own small group with the church that we attend in Washington, D.C. I remember saying to some of the members there that were still there after Bible study, I said, do you want me to be fully honest about uh, how I feel about some of the discussions we're having? In this moment in time, there are certain people in my life that I would not invite into our community. It's not our example of our love for Christ that would be questioned but they would be so put off by how strong our opinions about everything else seem to trump our opinion or our love for Christ. I, I remember uh, also talking to some, it was also with our church as well, uh, about is there a good choice? Is there a right choice when it comes to the elections that just passed? And my admonition to them was, I believe that Christians today and especially in that particular election, should be voting mournfully. Meaning we just have to make the best choice we can. Because every time we try to stand up to defend one side or the other and to try to paint it as the Christian choice, we are giving men the opportunity to speak for God. And it's not necessarily men who even wanted that responsibility. And so I feel like where we should be looking is straight back to God. What it, you know, being an American and having uh, the right to choose, it's an important thing for a Christian to exercise. But our responsibilities as ambassadors of Christ is forefront. We, we need to turn our focus back to Him. You can have your personal opinions about what's right and what's wrong and where things are going, but if we could at least step back and remember what love looks like, ask ourselves what love would look like in a particular situation, I think we would get a lot further. I was listening to a podcast probably about six months ago, still in the thick of coronavirus, and it was a secular woman who was uh, in a very uh, conservative town where a lot of people were anti-mask and anti, you know, you know, this is all a hoax or whatever. You know, you can believe whatever you believe. That's where the, she was. And um, I remember something she said. She was in a grocery line or a line in a store and a man came to her and was basically mocking her mask wearing. And she said, well, clearly I care more about you than you care about me. And it makes me think, what does America think of a church that is fighting more for its right to meet than its responsibility to show love? I, I think that we're at a point where if we really examine things, there are a lot of things we need to repent for. The beginning of our time together you spoke of your mother, and you spoke of her faith, and you spoke of her practices. And there was an integrity in her actions consistent through her life. And you have been speaking about the consistency and integrity of God, his love, uh, the gospel, and that we have moved away from that 
integrity, that consistency of message, um, that God is love. Is there anything else that you would like to add in our time together? Uh, love needs to manifest in our lives every day. You know, talking about you know how things are going right now with uh, whether it be the racial things or coronavirus or uh, having compassion for those who are jobless right now or, or all of these different things. Dealing, you know, people are dealing with a whole lot of issues, just a mess of issues right now. My family grew up poor. Uh, we hardly knew it uh, until later in life. But something we discovered after my mom passed away is that somehow in the midst of paying off 10 years worth of land payments, she was also giving to about a half a dozen charities. She was putting our cousins through school in Haiti. And she did this as a factory worker. I have no idea how she managed financially to be able to do this. It, it's a mystery to us to this day. I wish I knew how to stretch money that well. <laughs> she was just amazing in her generosity. I remember whenever uh, someone would do something kind for us, uh, she would respond in kind, making baked goods and taking it to their houses. She always had something to give away. And then the other thing that I recall night of her wait, we were there for hours and we met a bunch of people for the very first time where they would come to us and they would say, you don't know me and I don't know your, your family, but I met your mother once. And uh, we were in the grocery line and she turned to me and she just said the, the most amazing thing or the kindest words or the best advice that I needed in that moment. She knew how to love. And we need to learn how to love consistently across the board with everyone that we encounter. We need to become an encounter of love uh, for everyone. I'm not sure if we've actually mentioned your mother's name. Everyone knew her as KK. KK. I think this podcast should be dedicated to KK. I feel like we've just scratched the surface of the story of both of you, but it is a blessing to us, and I thank you very much for your time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this interview of Joseph and Joycelyn Bataille. My apologies for the audio quality, as we had an equipment malfunction mere minutes into our time together, as well as a venue that provided its own challenges. We endeavor to impart an easy-to-listen-to production and appreciate your grace in this particular instance. This has been Hill Stories, originating at Chapel Hill Church in Gig Harbor, Washington. The opinions expressed are those of the participants for the edification of our listeners and do not necessarily reflect those of Chapel Hill Leadership or the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. If you would like more information or to submit an idea for a future episode, our email address is hillstories at chapelhillpc.org. For everyone here at Chapel Hill, I'm David Wilson. Thank you and God bless.